Hello and welcome to the formal review. Today, we will be having a very special episode. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hello everybody and welcome back to the formal review. This is season 3, episode 11. And I thank you all for tuning in once again. This episode is the second in the monthly series, Looking Back at History. In each of these, I will be looking at a specific historic event that has been shown in a movie. This will involve inviting a special guest who will be revealed on the dropping of each episode, and then a retrospective review of that film. So you're going to have to listen to every episode, and also follow me on social media, where I would be announcing when I'd be watching it, and maybe you can figure out what movie and what event I will be looking at in each month's episode. Because it honestly could come at any time of the month. This episode will be looking at Dunkirk, which obviously is a film based on the Dunkirk evacuation, also known as Operation Dynamo, and took place 80 years ago and was the evacuation of soldiers during World War II from the beaches and harbor of Dunkirk in the north of France. It took place between May 26th and June 4th of 1940. It commenced after a large number of Belgian, British, and French soldiers were cut off and surrounded by German troops during the six-week battle of France. British Prime Minister Winston Churchill, in his obviously famous We Shall Fight on the Beaches speech, called this battle a colossal military disaster. The French army has been weakened, the Belgian army has been lost, a large part of those fortified lines upon which so much faith has been reposed is gone. Many valuable mining districts and factories have passed into the enemy's possession. Whole of the channel ports are in hands, and we must expect another blow to be struck almost immediately at us or at France. We are told that Herr Hitler had a plan for invading the British Isles. He hailed their rescue as a miracle of deliverance achieved by valor, by perseverance, by perfect discipline, by faultless service, by resource, by skill, by unconquerable fidelity. It manifests to us all which it's in itself was the culmination of the war cabinet crisis during May of 1940. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our islands, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Churchill's specific contribution is is actually looked at in another film that came out in the same year as Dunkirk, Darkest Hour, and stars Gary Oldman as Churchill, and is an account of his early days as Prime Minister during this time period, while Nazi Germany swept across Western Europe and threatened to defeat the United Kingdom. Obviously, the German advance leads to friction at the higher levels of government between those who want to make a peace treaty with Adolf Hitler and Churchill, obviously refused. You cannot reason with a tiger when your head is in his mouth! Now, this episode is not going to go into that film that may be done next year. I'm not really sure. We'll see what happens around that time next year. But I do think that that film, in short, is a good film to also look back on because it does deal with similar attributes. However, that is more of a biopic, whereas Dunkirk is more of a war-related film. My guest for this episode is all the way across the pond in England, Ryan Nevin from LifeOfFilms.com. In this episode, we will be discussing our top Nolan films 
films along with our favorite war films and also our thoughts on Dunkirk does it hold up and how we feel no one should have been treated at the Oscars that year Richard Roper of the Chicago Sun-Times gave the film a 4 out of 5 and said it was one of the best war films of the decade describing it as tight ripping deeply involving and unforgettable a triumph in filmmaking but what do we think keep listening to find out hey right hey man how's it going it's going all right just trying to push through coronavirus as much as i can <laughs> yeah tell me about it so what's your guys i guess plan is there any thought of when you would go back to work normally again or well relatively speaking normally it's all based on the sales we've just been told as soon as sales start to find their way back to some sort of normal level will be when we are return at the moment it's it's just really the waiting game to be honest which isn't fun but it, it is what it is really just gotta roll with the punches yeah it's a little different over here they're kind of forcing people to go back well not forcing everyone like some people are fighting for it a little bit more but it's definitely not as i guess relaxed in that sense it's more there's a lot of fighting between whether we should go back and whether we shouldn't right it's all yeah, handled it's very it's differently it... in each state right it's a bit different in yeah each state. uh differently in each state and then the federal government has their own idea ideas on it but then each state is pretty much different but a lot of the states aside from few that are like just opening a lot of the states are kind of doing it sequentially based on certain areas because some areas it's not big cities it's like very rural so they don't have to worry about it as much at least that's their argument where i am in philadelphia yeah we're not going back till maybe mid-june at earliest really yeah tense times in it yeah it's definitely an odd time about it. I find it mad that it's obviously you're over in the States, I'm in the UK, and they're kind of suffering a bit together. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. a rare thing, there's a rare thing that when something happens in a country, do you know what I mean? Like, you suffer that crisis by yourself, whether it be an earthquake in a, in a country, and it's caused loads of damage. It's usually like everyone sees it on the news, and they obviously they think about the people there going through it. So it's quite, it's just the only thing you can really compare this to is something like similar to like a, like a world war or something like that, isn't it? Because everyone's going through it. It's definitely like very similar, because like you said, when you know, like a bombing happens in some country, I don't know about in the UK, but at least everyone I see, like Facebook, they always put We are together, but they put like the flag in the background of their profile picture and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It's very concentrated on that specific event, but like you said, it's, there's no Facebook profile for this because we're all pretty much in the same boat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's mad. Yeah. I'm thankful that you came on. It's cool to look at other countries' view on World War II yeah. um, because obviously with the US, we have our own point of view. You being over in UK, your own point of view because that's obviously where everything started and then to you have different focuses on war so with Dunkirk I'm assuming you learned about it in schools how did that thing go are there any days of memory surrounding it or celebrations or anything like that so we don't have anything real specific for Dunkirk we have a remembrance day which remembers all the soldiers that died during the world war but we don't have really anything specific that's like Dunkirk day or we don't get a day off work anything like that obviously it's something that we definitely did learn at school it was a big part of the war a, a massive turning point within the war. So when it comes to Chris Lane obviously doing the film Dunkirk for us Brit didn't need much explaining. We have it in our heritage. To give some background on the Dunkirk evacuation, Nazi Germany invaded Poland in September of 1939. France and the British Empire declared war on Germany and put out a blockade on their economy between each other. The British Expeditionary Force was then sent to help France. However, later, Germany invaded Belgium, Netherlands, and 
again France on May 10th of 1940. They drove northward and trapped the BFF and the remains of the Belgian forces and three French field armies along the northern coast of France. For those who don't know geography, an evacuation across the channel was the best course of action because it was pretty much the only one. So they ended up planning a withdrawal from Dunkirk, which was the closest good port. On May 23rd, Hitler approved a halt order and had the German high command send confirmation to the front. This order basically gave allied forces time to come up with a plan and basically pull back all of their troops to fight the Battle of Dunkirk. On the first day of this evacuation, approximately seven and a half allied soldiers were evacuated. And by the eighth day, a little over 338,000 had been rescued using only 800 vessels. Not only were these vessels from the Royal British Navy, the Canadian Navy, and the French Navy, there was also a lot of civilian merchant ships. Some soldiers had to wait out from the beaches and wait for hours in shoulder-deep water. Everyone from the UK knows the story of Dunkirk. So was it given in a normal history class? Because for me, how I learned about it, I had to take like a specific World War II course. But then it was only maybe half a lecture, one class day. Right. Like it wasn't very much. Yeah, so from memory, obviously, it would have been a long time ago now. When I was in school, over 10 years ago now, when I learned about it. But it would have been in our history lessons. And we spent a lot of time on World War and definitely would have had more than a half a day uh, yeah. thing on it. We would have, from really scratched back memory weeks, it's something that really stands out for all of us. We all know it. We all know that everything about it. So it's it's a fundamental part of our, of our education especially during history the stuff that the u.s teaches obviously d-day and then obviously pearl harbor and how that infected the war um, in the pacific and things like that very obviously american concentrated yeah. so for me i like learning about especially world war ii learning about different perspectives of the war itself especially for me being half japanese i also know more about the japanese side of the war and how that interaction happened but then certain things about it i tell people who are pretty much full Americans and they don't even know about that because our history doesn't really focus on that. So similarly, that's why I wanted to bring you on and talk to you about that. So looking back, if you went back in time, I guess from the perspective of the three aspects of the film, the land, the sea, and the air, which if you were back then, would you think that you would be more put into the military and being rescued or would you be the civilian helping out or the pilot? Um, I'd like to... I think I'd like to think that I'd like to do something more down the kind of the Air Force route. Mm -hmm. um, I've always had a massive fascination for planes, and I do now. Um, I really like fighter jet. I really think that they're amazing craftsmanships in, in all that stuff, and they're, they're really intrigued. So that's something I think I'd like. Whether or not that would, would pan out then, I feel if, if it was realistic and how I, I would end up being a part of that war would probably be very similar to the actual characters in the film. I feel like I would probably just be part of the, the land military. I, how most people I think were brought into it to kind of be those foot soldiers uh, where I think where you're in part of the Air Force it's far more of a skill that you need to have which obviously I don't I'm not a part of the Army so I feel I'd like to be in the Air Force that would be the dream but I think the realistic answer would find myself being more on the kind of foot soldier sort of aspect what about yourself? Um, I think I would probably be a civilian I know that that's kind of not patriotic in a certain way but it's for me I kind of can't in any situation shooting a gun and killing somebody but I want to help out people as much as I can. So this, what the civilians did, obviously, that's something that's I would want to do if I could. Having said that, I get very seasick. So yeah, that's same as me. Uh, so <laughs> C was out of question. <laughs> 
I don't know. Um, I guess the only option for me on that similarly is the military because I couldn't be Air Force because I don't have 20-20 vision. So I couldn't do that either. So but <laughs> war movies in general, what would you say is your favorite war movie? And not a movie that takes place during a war, like a Holocaust survival film. Are we talking like kind of realistic battles um, in regards to kind of Saber Private Ryan, Black Hawk Down, etc.? Or we, uh, can I go more into the realms of a bit more like fantasy war? Like Lord of the Rings is obviously something I really like. Realism stuff, yeah. Oh uh, yeah, okay. I was a big fan of the Jarhead film. Um, if you class that, I know it wasn't a massive war, but I think we're going for real battle war. Um, I really like Black Hawk Down, like I said there. It's one of Ridley Scott's last decent films, in my opinion. He kind of faded off after that. Black Hawk Down, really a brilliant film, and I love going back to that and seeing all the kind of the old faces that are in there that are massively famous now. But I'm more a fan of the modern style of war. Like, more like modern guns and modern technology and modern planes and helicopters then more kind of the old school stuff like Save It Private Ryan. I don't know why, I feel like I like to relate to stuff and I think if it's too old I don't really understand the weapons that they're using and stuff like that. I, I don't relate to it as well as when I was seeing stuff that's more modern. How about yourself? I would say Letters from Iwo Jima is my favorite. I'm actually the opposite with you. I actually like more historical ones right. more than I don't like the modern ones too much. To me it's too new of something to be made into a movie and I say that like about anything that happens two years ago and then they do a biopic on it why do we need a movie this just happened that's why i don't like watching those types of things like the last middle east war type of war movie i, I don't even remember the last one i watched oh no i do 13 hours that michael bay movie okay that was the last I one i watched. That yet. i would say it's actually quite decent it has michael bay isms but i would say it's his more grounded i mean it's not transformer yeah, you know yeah. <laughs> it's a more realistic john krasinski's pretty good in it yeah yeah john yeah he's from the office uh, yeah. married to emily blunt that was the reason why i saw the movie originally just because he was in it i, I like him as an actor so yeah no i like uh, yeah I haven't seen um the tv series that he's jack ryan have you watched any of that no i haven't watched it though how big of a fan are you of the office so i've obviously i've come from the original this yeah um the ricky, the ricky gervais so i've watched bits and spurts of the american office like in on TV now and then so I've never really watched from beginning to end but I, like, I know characters that you'd be referring to and who's in it and, and some of the plot points and stuff like so why? The reason I ask because I saw this thing on Reddit and I thought it was really funny. On the TV show he has a picture of a wanted photo at his desk. There's this one episode of The Office where they're trying to find a flasher. Pam, she draws a picture of Dwight but puts a small criminal looking mustache on him. The entire episode is trying to find out who he is but it's a prank on Dwight. Right. <laughs> And so that photo is up in the office of Jack Ryan. It's an actual wanted poster. No way, that's brilliant. Yeah, I thought it was hilarious. But getting back to war movies in general, yeah, I think the modern stuff just for me is not too crazy about. But going more into specifically about Dunkirk, what would you say your top three Nolan films are? In no particular order, but Dark Knight and Batman Begins kind of have to merge into one. Yeah. Um, me really so obviously the Batman trilogy but mainly more the Dark Knight to be honest um, that stands out yeah. the most so that would be number one um, and then number two would be uh, Inception brilliant film with that film um, I think that's I love the Dark Knight and I think it's, it's very close to perfection in my opinion but with Inception I think I love 
its kind of uniqueness. I think it really highlights Nolan's overall talent of writing a story as well as bringing it to life. And then third would be Interstellar for me. So more of the Nolan okay. for the modern stuff. I, I really liked Interstellar. It really made me appreciate like Matthew McConaughey a bit more. I just watched him in True Detective, but then once you did that, it kind of recemented an actor but um, just really enjoyed the premise of it and, and Zimmer's score and it's brilliant as well so, so for me quite easy answer you know I'm a big big Nolan fan so obviously this is something that I've given much thought about even before coming on this show of what my top films are I'm interested to hear yours though but you can throw out like some random insomnia or something aren't you I would say yeah uh, my favourite is still The Prestige mostly because it's a very well told story and I love how like the idea of a magic trick is basically the concept of the film itself that the three parts that Michael Caine's character like describes a magic trick. Every magic trick consists of three parts or acts. The first part is called the pledge. The magician shows you something ordinary. A deck of cards, a bird, or a man. Perhaps he asks you to inspect it. To see that it is indeed real. The second act is called the turn. The magician takes the ordinary something and makes it do something extraordinary. You're looking for the secret, but you won't find it. Because of course, you're not really looking. You don't really want to know. You want to be fooled. But you wouldn't clap yet, because making something disappear isn't enough. You have to bring it back. That's why every magic trick has a third act. The hardest part. The part we call the prestige. That's actually what the film is in itself, yeah. and I love that aspect of it. And then obviously the acting in it, I think is really great. Yeah, Inception is up there too. I really like The Dark Knight, but because it's a Batman film, to me, it, it's just hard for me to say that that's such a unique film, whereas like Inception and Prestige are very, very unique. My hardest problem is always picking that third one. I really like Insomnia, I really like Memento. Depending on the day, I think I would say one of those. Today, I would probably say Memento. Memento that, that is good. It's very, very raw. Yeah. Uh, it's funny that neither of yeah. us said uh, Dunkirk on the uh, Dunkirk special. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we can maybe get into that in a little bit while. That's a perfect segue into our review. Dunkirk is a 2017 war film written and directed by Christopher Nolan. It features an ensemble cast that includes Dion Whitehead, Tom Glenn Carney, Jack Loudon, Harry Styles, Anuin Bernard, James Darcy, Barry Kagan, Kenneth Branagh, Cillian Murphy, Mark Rylance, and Tom Tom Hardy. Upon release, Dunkirk received praise for screenplay, direction, musical score, and cinematography, and some called it Nolan's best film to date, and, and was one of the greatest war films ever made. As of the release of this episode, Dunkirk has a 93% rating on Rotten Tomatoes from 444 critics along with an 81% audience score from about 68,000 ratings. On IMDb, it has a 7.9 rating out of 10 after about 518,000 ratings. On Google, it has a 4.3 out of 5 after 624 ratings. And on Metacritic, the film has a weighted score of 94 out of 100 based on 53 critics. Dunkirk's budget was approximately $150 million and the box office run was about $527 million, which is a profit of about $377 million. 
I remember when this movie first came out, one of the biggest things was obviously no one's pushed to see this on the biggest screen possible. Like he filmed, I don't know, probably 75 to 80 percent of it, if not more, in IMAX. And that was obviously the screen size that he wanted people to see it in. So how did you see it? IMAX. I'd only ever see Chris Murdoch films in IMAX. And it was it was a really good experience. It was definitely worth it. I felt sorry for anyone who didn't go see the film in IMAX. I saw, I saw it twice. I enjoyed it that much. It really was made for that type of cinema, not just for the picture yeah. or anything like that. But yeah, like the sound as well. When like the aircraft come over as they were bombing, that kind of high pitch that Spitfire was making the engines, I think, was really brought to life with that IMAX sound as well, which was really important. So it was really worth it. What about you? Yeah, I saw it in IMAX as well. So I saw saw it on a planetarium IMAX because right. we have here in the States our IMAXs that are mostly here they're just big screens but planetarium kind of had a the curve aspect to it so it was really immersive into yeah, this yeah. so much so that my fiance hates the movie because of it because she got kind of motion sick <laughs> <laughs> from where we were sitting when they showed the airplanes like when you're at his perspective looking down on the water it looked like we were actually like looking down at the water and it was kind of surreal in some ways i really did like that because we also have here unfortunately a lot of theaters that say they're imax but then they're not right. so i was lucky to see that in a theater like that so i was a little worried when i watched this again because i haven't watched it since i saw it in theaters i bought it because i knew it was good and i knew i wanted to watch it eventually but i hadn't watched it just because i had issues with it when it first came out and i wanted to give myself time so when re-watching it this time i was worried that maybe that immersive type of feeling wasn't going to be the same luckily it didn't affect my viewing and honestly i don't think it made it any worse for me it may have made it a little bit better one of the things that i really liked about it was the imax feel to it because one of the things about the dark knight is that i think he was trying the IMAX feel then for the first yeah, yeah, yeah. time if I remember correctly yeah. it, it um, tops, isn't it? and so yeah and it great in the bits that they do like some of the really wide city shots are really amazing in that movie so like having this movie pretty much be almost entirely that was a lot of fun so watching it on my sound system now was just a lot of fun because with the surround sound like having the airplane like come up from behind you but then like come forward and then it comes on screen that was so cool to me I actually really really enjoyed that about this that's cool. I look forward to when I get my surround sound set up. I think that'd be a good film to test it on, definitely. What were some things that you really liked about Dunkirk, aside from the IMAX? Um, so for me, I kind of liked how Christopher Nolan took a kind of a war film with a very well, it's a simple story, but everyone knows it. It's a easy story to kind of stay on top of. But what he did is he kind of put a bit of a twist on it with the um, the different aspects, like you said when we spoke earlier in the show about the foot soldiers, the sea, and the air, and how they kind of have their own concept of time, which essentially all mm. mold together. And I think is it like the air force's time is kind of a lot less. It all happens a lot quicker than the ground. So I just like that whole concept of time and then how it kind of all ends up concluding to kind of one final finish. It was really interesting, especially with like Killian Murphy's character like in two different situations, you know, where he's mm. obviously he's on that, he's on that boat, which has been saved by the fishermen. But then later on you see him in the foot soldiers time concept 
when they're kind of fleeing the ship and stuff and he's up on there so it's I find that really really interesting so that was a massive part that I liked about it what I also liked about it was the realism of the film obviously I haven't been in war so this is just my opinion on how I felt it was but obviously you have a lot of films like Hacksaw Ridge and Save It Private Ryan that are very bombastic very very gory limbs flying everywhere it's a much more of like a spectacle kind of visual spectacle of war and just a real blockbuster where with, with Dunkirk it felt a little bit more on what being in war would be like a very tense atmosphere things happening but it not be so bombastic it felt more like a simulation of war than a war movie so those are two massive things that I really enjoyed about that that made this film feel different to the type of war films we've had before. So that's kind of what I liked about it. I agree with you on the realism point because I think how you mentioned the real feel of it and I think that also helped along with the IMAX aspect of really engaging into the scene. You don't even have to experience war and I think this is kind of also with Saving Private Ryan at least in that opening scene where it's so much actually being there and feeling the airplanes flying overhead feeling the explosions and everything like this film i think is a great movie to have somebody experience even when just watching it at home i think it's an experience of a movie it's not just uh sit there for two hours and this is honestly a very short film it's not even two hours i think yeah. right it's an hour 45 or something i think it's also his shortest film if i remember yeah it's very correctly short. it's not meant to be this long drawn out process and then you feel all the tension and i think i'm actually surprised you didn't bring it up the score in this i don't think it's zimmer's best ever but he is able to keep everything really intense even if you dance away like once the intense music starts up again it brings you right back into it so i think that's another thing that i liked about it i like a lot of the actors in it i think they're all really good i don't think anyone was outstanding in a way i really like Kenneth branagh as an actor in general you obviously have tom hardy harry um, styles was he your favorite part yeah uh, god no i have no connection <laughs> to him really at all <laughs> I was either way about it, but I read the reason why they casted him was because apparently it was the same reason why he casted Heath Ledger, because no one thought he would be good at it. Obviously, it's nowhere near the same as what Heath Ledger did, but don't care about Harry Styles as much as I think some teenage <laughs> girls would. Brian Darcy plays Jarvis in Agent Carter. Uh, I've not watched that. Well, he's the Jarvis in Endgame. Jarvis? Have we ever met that guy? You meet a lot of people, sir. Right. He's like the first crossover that was originated in the show. So anyway, I, I forgot that he was in it. That's cool. Cillian Cilli Murphy, Killian, Cillian, how you pronounce it, I can never remember. But he's always yeah. a good actor and a Nolan favorite. I didn't catch it the first time or I forgot about it. The small Michael Caine yeah, cameo. Yeah, on the radio. He's a very obviously big Nolan favorite too. I think I remember first time said, like, why is he Michael Caine in this? I, uh, I remember watching an interview with Michael Caine. Yeah. He said a funny story about how that he would be in any Christopher Nolan film. Just gives me a ring, so I'm doing a movie, so I'll be over. He's like, he'd just have a gong, and if he just hit it, that like yeah. he, would, he would arrive. <laughs> he told Christopher Nolan, and then he said, like, I think it's like Christmas or his birthday, like Christopher Nolan actually bought him a gong. It was pretty, pretty funny. Do you know if he's going to be in Tenet? Uh, I haven't seen anything with him being in that, no, to be honest. But uh, kind of after Dunkirk, it out, people realize he's in it, so I wouldn't be surprised if he has a similar hidden role. There was like a lot of cool things that I didn't appreciate the last time around. I honestly forgot how short it was. It was getting close to the end. I was like, oh wow, I haven't been watching hmm. this very long. 
But since it's on neither of our top three Nolan films, what didn't you like about okay, it? Okay, so interesting, because you brought this up because you just said you yeah. um, were surprised that I didn't bring it up in something I like, but I actually don't like Hans Zimmer's score in it. It might be a level of disappointment, because obviously you know that I have big admiration for Zimmer as a composer, but I was very excited to mm. kind of hear like another Zimmer score for Nolan as well. Um, he does his best work for Nolan. I like scores that have got a bit more of a melody to them and stuff like that, instead of just something that's just created oh, okay. to just build feeling and like a constant feeling as well i understand it worked for the film but for me it was a disappointment but it might be a subconscious one because like i say i was secretly hoping for just another zimmer score that i could listen to in my car etc but so that i was so some first disappointed with but the reason i agree why i did kind of making that top films i like is because it's so focused on it being this experience which is really fun it's a, it is a really good experience it lacks a bit of rewatched substance that you have with it it's, it's very much one feeling throughout of kind of tense kind of playing on anxiety a little bit which is really interesting it's like a ride with those feelings but it doesn't have that overall kind of thing say like the dark night reception has where it has different types of emotions it takes you a bit more on it on a journey for emotions and stuff which i enjoy more in movies i think they have more of rewatch factor to them and gives the film a bit more substance yeah so that's why i don't really have it up there with the top it would probably be more on the lower part of my list on known films because it's still obviously a brilliant film but because it was so focused on being an experience it loses a lot of quality on what the kind of everyday film that you enjoy has it was quite short even though it kind of works for being short again it, it's nice just to have something a little bit longer something to they can be fleshed out a little bit more but um, i understand why it was short but again it's kind of something else once i I remember when it was finished I was like oh it's finished even though I knew it was short it feels even shorter watching it so for me they're kind of the points and really like it still really is a brilliant film and I think I gave it something like an 8 or a 9 out of 10 when I scored it so there's, there's not really that much I don't like about it mm. it's just for me Christopher Nolan his other films are more up there on the 9 10 front almost so that's my reasonings mm-hmm. kind of along the same lines uh, I guess when you compare it to like Inception and stuff like that one thing that like, you remember about those films you have characters that you can follow and you remember their names and there's like an arc that they're going through. Whereas this, I honestly still can't tell you who people are and why I'm caring about them. Yeah, like I want obviously people to live and survive and all that, but I couldn't tell you the names of anyone. Like, so I know yeah, the actors, yeah. I know them, and that's really it. It's not a character story. And while that's not a bad thing in some aspects, but it's not as rewatchable, like you said. Even though I rewatched it this time, I don't foresee myself rewatching it again again for a while it's borderline like a documentary even though it's not it's kind of a little bit like yeah you don't really kind of watch a documentary again you might if you really enjoyed it like say i've just been watching the, the last dance and i would happily watch that again but it, it reminds me mm-hmm. of how you get a vibe of re- watching a really 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 good documentary yeah one of those films you can appreciate and it's really well done and everything but it's not something that you need to go around and say oh I, i'm definitely yeah. in the mood yeah to i'm, in, I'm in the mood to watch dunkirk just um, yet yeah, it doesn't i don't get thinking get that feeling i don't know what that yeah. feeling would feel like to be in the mood to watch dunkirk again yeah i agree 100 but that uh, works well to segue into the next question because it is somewhat similar to like documentary to like what you said but i was doing some research paying how accurate this movie is and from what i've been reading they say it's a pretty accurate movie like give or take like a few little nitpicks here and there but one of the things that i came across was that there was a bigger indian and south asian population at dunkirk i think it's about a few hundred in comparison to like the hundreds of thousands of people there but this film doesn't really show too much diversity across the characters in the film not to say that there are two memorable characters like i already mentioned
something, but it seems very whitewashed in a way to not even mention. I understand it's obviously a British film, but at the same time, I know there's a big South Asian population in England. Being somebody from the UK and everything, what do you think about that? Um, to be honest, it's not something I've known too much about myself either. I think, yeah, it would have been nice for Nolan to have maybe incorporated a little bit in that to kind of give it a nod to those people and I think countries would have got a lot of respect from that and it would have been a nice gesture but I don't feel like it was imperative to the story. I don't think it really focused on many characters. It focused on the British army and stuff like that, so that made sense. So I think if maybe they focused a lot more of a character-driven film, then maybe it might have been nice to throw a nod there or a nod here, but, but because it was more about the overall experience and not really the characters, I don't think it's something that should be kind of looked at too badly. I think a lot of films that get made in countries to tell their country's story focus a lot more on their country's army. I think America focuses a lot on that films, a lot of focus on just Americans. Um, it's true. unfair to, to pull Nolan out when he's obviously British. It's a film about the British army and how they dealt with Dunkirk, etc. And it was a big turning point for us. So yes, they could have done something I, and it would have been nice for the people of those cultures to have had that nod as they were a part in it and obviously it did very well. Got in the front of a lot of people but I don't think it should be looked at in negative leaks. I don't think it was imperative for it to have happened. Yeah, I don't think it's more of a negative. I just think it's one of those things for me when I see that that type of thing actually happen and it's not being represented on a movie that's trying to be so realistic and then it's not realistic in some aspects. If all those people there, they were British people and there were so many people, maybe it wouldn't have been that realistic for them to have encountered someone from a culture of only hundreds of people on there maybe i don't know possibly he might have thought about it in this thought that it might have been felt too forced for them to have encountered some path of that maybe i don't know i didn't even know that this indian company was part of dunkirk i didn't even know that they existed but apparently they were really big in helping out from what i was reading they helped out a lot prior to dunkirk and even though there was very minimal amount of them they still did a lot and to completely ignore them in my character film like you said would have probably been a little bit more problematic it's an interesting thing that I came across and I thought yeah, I just it is really interesting but I didn't really I didn't know that much really to be honest until obviously you approached me for this so no it is it is really interesting yeah when it comes to how this film holds up did you rewatch the film for this or, did, or are you just kind of going I on your, um, seen it, your memory seen it, yeah, a few times like I've got good memory so yeah so um, oh okay so do you think it holds up definitely I rewatched it like a few months ago I always put random films on when I'm having like lunch and stuff and when they're on TV it's got the movie channels and it was not so I'll go and actually had watched it and yeah it holds up because what's great about Christopher Nolan and what Christopher Nolan films will always hold up is because he would always use CGI where he has to not in ways to save money or etc that's his style he likes to use realism and because of that his films will be timeless the most I've really seen him properly use CGI will be Inception and does that very well but most of the case he tries to do a lot of things realistically as much as he can so that's why they will hold out and with this film he did a really good job at, at sticking to that I remember that he built like Spitfires and stuff like that actually really built them I remember there was one that they had at the like premiere in London and stuff so it was, it was all very much wanting to kind of keep it real and that's why it will hold up and it does so yes is the answer to that question <laughs> definitely agree so i think it does hold up aside from not as much rewatchability. 
but yeah, I think it's still a really good film. Looking back then, this movie was obviously nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards, and it won for Best Sound Editing over Blade Runner 2049, Shape of Water, Baby Driver, and The Last Jedi. It won for Best Film Editing over Baby Driver, I, Tanya, Shape of Water, and Three Billboards, but it lost for Cinematography to Blade Runner 2049, and then it lost Production Design, Original Score, <laughs> Director, and Picture to Del Toro and The Shape of Water. Because I don't remember what you thought of the film back then, in comparison to the other films that were up that year. But what do you think about the award winning that year? I think that Christopher Nolan's becoming the Leonardo DiCaprio of the director part of the world, to be honest. I think it's <laughs> getting to the point now where Christopher Nolan has done so many great films that he has to win one. Christopher Nolan cannot go and retire from his career and not have won a Best Picture or Best Director award. And I feel like it's just going to happen where he's just going to end up getting it for probably a film that's maybe not one of his best so for me it is a sore subject uh, the shape of water I understand was a unique film it did it on a very small budget as well which was very impressive etc but like how slumdog millionaire won in 08 and the dark knight was never even nominated these films for me become films that become forgettable but christopher and films are never forgettable people remember these films and they stand out and that's what is sad for me that he didn't win i was i was really really sure that he would win this one it was a film about war which is usually a good topic like a realistic pro it was, it was in a fantasy, it was a superhero film, it was sci-fi, etc. It was a very realistic approach, he did it very well, it was received very well, it was unique, he even set a new tone within the war type of films, which I think has inspired people now to go forward. I think 1917 was very much similar to Dunkirk in that aspect, etc. Yeah, and I agree. For him to not get any real recognition from that to a film that I understand why people like it, and I understand what Del Toro did with the small budget, etc. And it was impressive. Hats off to them in reviews and stuff, but I was very disappointed for Christopher Nolan. I think anything that he goes on to do now will be tainted because people go, okay, he won for this film, but why didn't he win for Inception? Why didn't he win for Dunkirk? Why wasn't Interstellar or The Dark Knight even nominated? His whole award vibes seems a bit controversial now. I'm interested to hear your thoughts because you really like Shape of Water, don't you? Yeah, I, I do. I actually rewatched that last night because I haven't watched that movie in a really long time, so I kind of wanted to see how I felt about that movie again. And yeah, I do really like the movie and I was fine with it winning Best Picture. I don't remember the other films that were nominated that year. It wasn't my favorite film of the year, but out of the nominated for Best Picture of the ones that I actually thought were going to win, that one was my pick. But rewatching the direction as much as I like Del Toro, I maybe have switched more that I think Nolan should have won. I don't remember back then if I picked Nolan or if I picked Del Toro. They were definitely my top two back then. I just don't remember who I actually picked. But on the rewatch, I think Nolan had a much better direction. It was more powerful in that sense. And I agree that like, yeah, he has come out with a lot of good films. I think he's kind of unfortunately going down the Martin Scorsese route where Scorsese won his best director for The Department which is not anywhere near his best film. I hope that doesn't happen and no one keeps putting out really good films and they're either just as good or better. Maybe he'll actually get one that deserves
deserves it, not just a here's an award for your career, not for yeah, this that, specific movie. But DiCaprio, like you mentioned, not to say The Revenant wasn't good, but he did so many other great performances. If he didn't get it with that, it's like, how the hell does he not get yeah. it with anything? It's how Hans Zimmer's only ever won one, and that was for The Lion King over 20 years ago. That blows my mind as well, because Gladiator wiped the floor with awards. It was a brilliant film. Everyone loved it. It won rewards, but then Gladiator didn't win best score. Sometimes, I don't know, I just feel like the Academy maybe like cornered themselves a little bit, and they feel like we said really like Caprio has cornered themselves a bit, then they just end up having to give out awards because it looks starts to look too dodgy that they haven't. Does that make sense? Like they start it starts becoming this bit more of a game to them. Like really like Caprio was like year after year after year, people just gobsmacked. Like how is he not one for Wolf of Wall Street, etc. And then he went to Revenant, which yeah, decent film. He's brilliant in it. He's brilliant in everything. But is it his best performance? Is Hans Zimmer not done a score better than Lion King? I don't know, it seems too much of a game to me, and that's why I'm going off the Oscars every year, to be honest. I see what you mean. I'm still a big Oscar watch. I think it's fun. There's issues with it. It's definitely not a perfect system, but that's uh, <laughs> yep. another conversation for another day. <laughs> now, for a lot of people who don't know, James Lipton died earlier this year, and I was a big fan of his show Inside the Actor's Studio. At the end of every episode, he would ask a list of 10 questions that was originated by the French television personality. Bernard Pivot on his show Apostrophes after the Proust questionnaire. And so to honor his memory, I'm going to continue that. Now my questions aren't the exact same. I'll twist them a little bit to make them a little bit more amazing. So you get to know a little bit of my guests at the end of each episode. And some of them are a little bit fun. So let's get started. Coronavirus aside, how many times you see a movie in the theater? Once a week? Yeah, I'd okay. say about once a week. How often do you watch movies at home? Once a day, maybe. I don't know, it's hard. Um, I watch a lot of snippets of films and stuff all the time. I'd probably say like three or four a week. Who, actor or director, will make you watch a film no matter what? Christopher Nolan. Do you prefer digital movies or do you prefer hard copy? Hard copy. What movie-related profession would you like to attempt if you could? Director. What's your favorite movie or movie genre? Probably comic, uh, like superhero action. What is your least favorite movie or movie genre? Horror. Best Batman actor? Christian Bale. Is it biopic or biopic? Biopic. And if heaven exists, what would you like to hear said to you when you arrive at the Pearly Gates? I don't know. Uh, nice work. I'd like to be congratulated. So yeah, that's it. Thanks again, Rai, for joining me on this to talk about Dunkirk. Thanks for having me. It's been good. I feel like I like the concept. I've got a British person on to talk about a, obviously a very British film in all aspects. So no, it's been it's been really good, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you uh, asking me to come on. No problem, man. So why don't you let the listeners know where they can get in touch with you if they want to talk to you about this or any other film. I'm Ryan from lifeoffilms.com and just hop on over, read some blogs. If you want to have a chat, then you can find all my social and contact details on there. So hop on over. Yeah, thanks again for joining me. And if there's another British historic event that I decide to have a special on, I'll definitely reach out. <laughs> cool, man. But until then, stay safe. Cheers, dude. Peace. Peace out, bro. Bye. Now, what did you think of the film? Let me know. Hit me up on social media. The Formal Review is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The URL is all the same. It's at The Formal Review. Please also subscribe to the podcast on your favorite service. It is on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and really, honestly, anywhere you can find podcasts. Also, I'm always wanting to grow and improve, so feel free to leave a review on your favorite service. I see the numbers, and I do this for you all, and I want to keep it entertaining. I really appreciate everyone supporting me by listening and talking about movies with me online. For those who have contributed financially, I really thank you for supporting me 
in that way. For those who want to financially contribute, please go to anchor.fm forward slash the minus sign formal minus sign review and click support this podcast. And I thank you very much in advance and any donation is appreciated. Also check out backseatdirectors.com where I do contribute a good amount of the time writing articles, reviews, and I'm part of a big team. So please check out the website. You can find out all their social media accounts. Thank you all for tuning in once again. And until next time, well, I won't say it's a movies, but be safe, wash your hands, and take care, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Formal Review. We hope you'll join us again.